Hi, everyone. Welcome to Political Wellness, our new series at Vote Run Lead, where we are talking to women on the front lines of our democracy who are keeping our democracy, our government healthy and whole in these tough times. And I am super excited to have as our first guest on this, this new series, Representative Mary Gonzalez of Texas, who, if you all have been watching the news, uh, Texas has been in the news. The Texas legislature has been in the news. Um, and, you know, it's I think there's a new New York Times article uh, that just came out about really Texas being sort of a bellwether for how the nation is going to go. And so this couldn't be a, a better kickoff than having your insider perspective, your nearly almost 10 years in the legislature. Um, and so I'm super excited to have Representative Mary Gonzalez with us as part of political wellness. So I am Super excited to be here. Thank you so much. You're right. Texas is in the news for all the wrong reasons. And really, I, the whole country should be paying attention because what we, we do here does have an impact. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to dig into that. But I want to I want to get a little bit of background. I want um, you. I think you have a very inspiring story. I would love to hear um, just a little bit about why you ended up choosing the legislature. Um, you know, you are, you're the country's first pansexual legislator in America. Super cool. Um, and it's, um, you know, you're in a red state, you're a Democrat in a red state. Um, your representative areas like El Paso County, I know there's a couple different cities, parts of El Paso you also cover. Um, why did you choose the legislature? Why the state house? What was that decision for you? I always say it's the beginning of my political telenovela. Um, if you would have told me 10 years ago that I was going to be a state rep, I would have never believed you. I came, when I was younger, I used to tell my dad, dad, I just want to change the world. And yeah. my dad said, okay, mija, you want to change the world, get involved in politics. So I came to, I came from a little town called Clint, Texas to, to Austin to work at the Capitol and I was a staffer. And guess what happened? I hated politics. I felt that it moved too slowly to specifically impact people's lives who were who were really struggling. So I left politics, became a professor, loved everything about teaching. But when my seat opened up in Texas, we've elected over 5,000 legislators, but only about 150 have been women. So there's a huge, I know, huge gap. So Annie's List, an organization that helps select women, targeted my seat, asked me to run, and guess what I said? No, because Texas legislators only make $7,000 a year. Yeah. And I was like, how do I survive? Like there was a survival question. Yeah. Long story short, my students convinced me to run. Oh. I jumped in thinking I was never going to win because um, there were four guys, all elected officials running against me. And I was this young graduate student who was openly queer, feminist studies in Texas. Like it just didn't seem like it would be a possibility. Um, we ended up winning. Yes, 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 yes. And you know, it's been 10 years and now I'm really fortunate to be working on things that I'm passionate about. I'm vice chair of appropriations for Texas, which is a $260 billion budget. Yes. So it's a it's a wonderful political telenovela one day that I think somebody yeah. should really make it a telenovela. Okay. Any of our publishers out there, any of our folks connected to the TV land, you know, we're, we're looking for a contact, okay? You know, <laughs> Netflix, Amazon. Um, <laughs> We're gonna tell the story, absolutely. Um, so that's that's my next question. What what do you do? So as you know, Vote Run Lead is our new initiative called Run 51. We believe that more women in the legislature like you who are feminists, who are reform-minded, who are actively anti-racist are going to shape state by state by state um, a really equitable democracy. But what does the legislature do? You know, you're, are you, how often are you traveling? Like some of those demystify it for us a little bit about 
what your life is like and the impact that you're able to have as a lawmaker? Oh, wow. That is the hardest question I think I've ever got in an interview. In an interview. What do I do? Um, well, first, I will say there are so many things I wish I would have known coming into this journey, yeah. um, I specifically as a woman and what, what that means for us. But I will say, um, as, and I, as, as fortunate as I am to be in this position and it's had its struggles, I do feel every day I wake up and make a difference. So I think I make a difference in three ways. One is just by being who I am as a queer woman of color um, from the border at a time when border politics are very real. So right. I, can, I humanize a lot of issues. Yeah. Through humanizing issues, I build authentic relationships. By building authentic relationships, I can then really try to start to shift policy. So I'll give an example. When I came in, I was the first um, openly identified LGBTQ woman in Texas. At the time, there was nobody um, who openly identified on the floor. Now we have six and we have a caucus in which I'm chair of. And now it's actually cool to be part of our caucus because we've worked over the over time to really humanize these issues. And so um, so there's humanizing issues. There's bringing up policies that people don't talk about. Yeah. I remember I mean, one time yeah, being on the floor and there was an amendment about WIC, which is about access to food for low income families. and. Mm -hmm. a, Member of the legislature said, why do we even need to do this? And I was like, I grew up on WIG. There's a real need. He just right. was out of his consciousness, right? Yeah. And the third thing we do is, is we do really get to work in coalitions and we build these coalitions that are powerful to create change. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. That is, thank you for not giving a boring answer. <laughs> Oh, I can I can give you I can tell stories all day. I think it's a it's women of color are actually known for telling great stories. It's kind of in our blood, and so right. I'm here for it all day long. Yes. All right. Brianne from Fort Worth says thank you. Thank you for helping yeah. us. Awesome. Yeah. We'll have we have this fun little feature where um, folks can actually chime in. So, um, you know, I think one of the biggest things. So let let's dig into some of the you know. You're, you're, you are making a difference. You're working in these humanizing ways. You're, you know, putting a, a face, if you will, to this working in coalition, changing the landscape, changing the makeup. Um, and, you know, we all operate still in a larger system, right? A hyper polarized system right now, deeply, deeply polarized in which you see, I think, um, some bellwether legislation coming out of Texas. Let's, let's start with the voter suppression, voter ID laws. Um, and, I know that so many of you fled the state. Um, that was, you know, national news going to D.C. to see if there could be the um, several acts coming out of D.C. that could help. Um, give us a little bit of what that was like from from your perspective. Some of that frustration that you felt, and where do you see regular folks being able to help state legislators, you know, push push this issue, push this agenda? Um, and sometimes when we feel, I think, a little bit helpless on some of this stuff. Mm. What a great question. So, gosh, this year, so we, we, let's go back to your first question. And what do we do? When I jumped into being a state rep, I have an actual real professional job because, again, we don't make a lot of money. So I have to work full time somewhere else because I don't come from a family of means. Yeah. And so when I took my job, I said, I'm only in session every two years for five months. It will be no big deal. I can do it. 10 months in, I'm still in session, right? Because you're right. Yeah. There is an extremist agenda happening in Texas. And so one of those bills, and I will say, it's not just 
you know, the elections bill, which is awful. There's also been $3 billion of border security. When we have actual real financial needs in the state, there's been the CRT right. movement that has, we've had to pass two anti-CRT bills, not just one. We didn't ban it well enough. We had to ban it again. Um, there's been all these really extreme pieces of legislation but what's devastating is the elections bill isn't about good policy. Yeah. It's about a political agenda and, and b really limiting the rights for people to vote. And I'll give an, a, a really clear example because people always ask, like, is it that bad? I'm like, yes, it's that bad. Yeah, and I think on the surface, people are like, okay, get an ID. And they don't actually kind of get that next layer. So yes, tell us. Because the bill is more than voter ID. It's an elections omnibus bill. That's so right. for example, I do a lot of work. So I'm the oldest of 11. My youngest sister has Down syndrome. So I work a lot with um, people with disabilities because I because that's something I feel so passionate about. So um, one of the bills I had this session was to support deafblind folks who need attendance. Okay. Right. right. The bill now, the elections bill says, if you have an attendant, they can't be paid. They can't be part of a nonprofit. Well, a lot of times your attendant is somebody who's paid because that's the only way to have some folks who have the, the skills that you need as a person with disabilities. Right. So why would we need that policy? Ask yourself that, why? We don't need that. We don't need to change the, the rules around people with disabilities and their access to voting, right? And so just that in itself is a reason that we should be fighting this bill, um, but there's a, literally a hundred other reasons. And it's just, you know, I love Texas so much. I, I, I would literally, I've given up all I can for to be a state legislator. And it's devastating that we're in this position because we just have we just are such a great place and i don't want people to think we're not because we're passing these extreme pieces of legislation no i don't think i don't think that's the case and i think um you know what do you so calling your legislator you know what what are the ways in which people can have a little more influence i think that it's the same kind there's the same sort of feeling that you have right that this is an extremist agenda that isn't actually supported by the people of texas and so what are some of the ways that we can and and literally this bill is to create a less healthy democracy, right? This bill is to erode the foundations of our democracy, to make it harder for folks to vote. And so um, where are some, are there some groups that people can get behind? Is there, what do you see being effective also for some of your legislators that have other interests, maybe other funding interests or donor interests that are competing with constituent interests? How can everyday folks help on this particular bill in Texas? So I will say our elections so elections really do matter. And so I'll give an example. I represent 200,000 people, but in my last primary, only 6,000 people voted. So what ends up, I know, I know. What ends up happening is that because these are such a small voting population in all these districts, you can make a big difference by getting involved in a campaign early on because you only need about 500 people to switch who gets elected, even in partisan races. And that's yeah. what people don't yeah. know. Like they're yeah. so close. Like we could really create more balance. Like we really, I think one of the reasons there is such an extreme agenda is because there's such an imbalance of Democrats and Republicans. There's not a push for moderation because yeah. there's like, well, there, there's only 67 Democrats to so all these Republicans. So it just, it's, it, there's not, there's not that in energy, right? Like it's so, imbalance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Right. So there's that. Um, I would say right now, because we passed so many extreme bills, the anti-abortion bill, the the border security bill, the um, you know, you know the elections bill, people's lives 
are really being impacted. Mm -hmm. So I'm even telling people, yes, we need to think about the next election cycle, which is right, right around the corner. Yeah, true. But our organizations on the ground really need some support and help because they're at like DEFCON 5, right? Because, I mean, I'll give an example about the border security bill. What we did in that bill is devastating because what we have done is create a state system for border for for migration and yeah. immigration and, and it's the penalties are awful we have it's just there's so much to do there um and people's lives are being impacted so i, I redirect folks to organizations on the ground if you want to know what those orgs are feel free to reach out on me on facebook insta snapchat email right. whatever right. you want to do i will tell you who, how to, who who needs your help right now right great that's great. Okay. And we can put some of those resources out. And I love that. I mean, I think that really speaks to your humanizing um, perspective, right? What you bring to this office, right? Putting people first, making sure that folks are sort of um, as best that we can um, staying safe. Um, and, you know, now that's going through the courts, right? The anti-abortion bill is going through the courts. Um, how do you, you know, I actually, I want to stay on this like 6,000 votes out of 200,000 people, right? Swinging 500 votes. I think that is really critical as we look at, can you, can you tell me if you don't mind sharing how much your race costs? Because I think that for women, um, two things, one, it feels like, wow, that's a lot of money or too much money. And then for some of our small dollar donors who maybe in 2020 sent their 50 bucks to a U.S. Senate race, you know, but really, how can we look at the legislatures and send our 50 bucks to you and to folks in your network, right? Um, that goes just goes a lot further. So um, tell me how much your raise cost and, and, and if you don't mind sharing, you know, the feasibility of more women running for the Texas legislature. Preach that all day long. Yes, because where is our return on investment actually yeah. felt most? Yeah. And I think we really have to have these difficult conversations because you're right. Like, no, I love helping everybody politically, but there's some folks, you know, even a school board race that starts to create a pathway yeah. for leadership, for changes. If we're thinking like, okay, especially in the redistricting year, we're going to lose some members. Who's that right. school board member? Like just really thinking ahead. So um, my race and this is public, but I would, of course, would I mean, it's public, but on average costs about $300,000. I know that seems like a lot, but what's really powerful, and I will say this, um, you know, when I decided to run for office, I was a graduate student working my PhD, um, you know, as a professor, just really, and I, again, I come from a family who's very humble and working class and I love them so much, but it wasn't like I just had like, here's here's a pot of money to like go run. In fact, I'm gonna cry telling the story, but my grandfather sent me a little note and he sent me the last $500 he had in his bank account so that I could run for office. And um, so, you know, when I decided to run, the first time my race was about $180,000. And and I was like, how am I going to raise this? And what really ended up happening is tons of groups of women would just put their money together and amplify. So there were 30,000 women who put 10,000 together or $10 each together. And it made a difference. Right. My sorority sisters, yes. I, remember that, 
a Latina service sorority, they each give $87. Well, when you have 100 people give $87, it starts to add up. And so there were just all these like little things that were done that start, that really created the foundation. Once yeah. I had the foundation, then you had the firefighters union, the teachers union come in, and then it became, it became a movement. Um, the reason my, and I think this is important, the reason that um, my race now is increased in cost is because as I have done the work over the decade, I've made some enemies. I've been kind of fearless because I think I come into the space thinking I wasn't supposed to be here anyways. So I'm just going to be myself. And and my district is that. Yes, you are. That's right. And, and so what ends up happening is I have targets. There are folks who like, we're going to spend money to get Mary Gonzalez out. Right. So now I have to raise a little bit more money to keep my authentic voice and be like, I'm just going to be me. But that puts, that is a risk, a political risk. And so I have to raise more money. <laughs> Thank you. I um, I know that wasn't one of our pre-questions. I appreciate you sharing that because I, I do think it's I think it's critical and I think it's very doable, right? I know that those those pots of money sound like a lot of money, but I love how you broke that down. Um, so you know, part of the Run Fifty One initiative, part of getting more women like you in the legislature, right, is that women are fifty one percent of the population, but you know I think they're twenty six or twenty seven percent of the Texas legislature. We have uh, white folks in Texas, I think now are 41% of the population, but they're 61% of the legislature. Um, what, when we have a truly reflective democracy, what do you what do you see when we have that reflective democracy? What do you imagine um, as we, as we get to sort of parity and, and rep true representation, um, what do you see changing in Texas and what do you see changing for the country? I freaking love this question for, so you don't know this, but my dissertation is on democracy. Um, so I, I'm going to be a nerd for half a second. It's like the Please. other part of my identities that no one really gives a lot of attention to. So I'm going to like give it its own attention. But I wrote, my dissertation was an autoethnography on identity, intersectionality praxis, and D slash humanization in shaping democracy. I, I know. Want the it, link. Um, well, huh, it's not public because I just shared all my thoughts which were like a little dangerous and my my dissertation chair was like we can't put this out for public consumption but anyways um the point of the matter is is i think that we have to we a for a long time have been maybe even taught to take democracy for granted mm. that it will just exist like oxygen and the right. truth of the matter is that it's not innate. And we have to be really strategic and intentional about having a healthy and vibrant democracy. And I would argue we're going in the other direction for a healthy and vibrant democracy. Yes. But we what are. it means for representation and what that means for democracy, and I'm going to sound like a broken record because I, I really, truly believe this, is humanization. You have to humanize folks who are in the office and because that the domino effect is it humanizes folks in society. Because when folks in this space in positions like mine are dehumanized, it's nearly impossible to create humanizing public policy. And so the, the, that is really yeah. what we're talking about. So when you don't have representation that is represent that, that really is representative of the what society and the communities look like, you're either tokenizing folks, you're creating invisibility or hypervisibility. All these things come into play. The power dynamics that exist in society are even magnified more in these spaces of power. And thus, without the representation right. or diversity, um, 
They get codified. They get codified into law. Right. Yeah. So that was my nerd speech for the day. Okay. I want to read the dissertation. I want. I want to read it. Um, and I'm sure there are a couple people watching that want to read it too. Um, so I um, I want to talk a little bit about redistricting and the role of the legislature. Yes. Um, and how. Um, Give us a little primer, if you will, on redistricting in Texas. As we know, the 50 states are different. You know, 14 have this, 12 have that. Um, give us a little primer, if you will, on um, what's happening in Texas and the, you know, what we were just talking about, right? Like the ecosystem matters. Building the democracy matters. Um, and I, I, my next question will be, how can folks influence the redistricting process? So give us that little primer first, if you don't mind. Oh, God. Texas redistricting. We've been in court cases every single time we've done it because there have been the courts have actually found this is very difficult to find through the court um, process intentional discrimination when it comes to the ways we do redistricting um for the longest time i've tried to pass a bill to do an independent redistricting commission at least for congressional lines of course that doesn't even get a vote out of committee because why would we do something so logical um but no you know okay so i will say so our lines, and everybody probably knows this, you start with the census, and then you work your way through those numbers and how big a district should be. Here's what's so sad about Texas. We didn't invest in a complete count. And when we didn't invest in a complete count, a lot of communities of color were undercounted. Right. I live on the border. We are undercounted something by 10% at the minimum, right? So we are losing a seat on the border, which is devastating because I'll give an example. Again, I represent... 263 colonias. For those of you who don't know what colonias are, those are communities that sometimes don't have sewer, water. I even have colonias that don't have electricity. Mm -hmm. We're in 2021 in the United States. Like what universe am I living in? But the point matters, we shouldn't be losing representation. Now more than ever, 95% of the population growth in Texas is people of color. Yes. Yet we lost seats of color or districts of majority of color folks like this is like so i will say the lines are 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 complicated we're losing representation we're losing representation for communities of color at a time when we need representation the most because of all of the things that are happening how can people get involved well first we well we just testified i'm gonna i'm gonna sound i'm gonna say something that maybe isn't the most optimistic okay and it's hard for people i think to understand I'm not sure what we can do right now. Yeah, that's okay. But I don't think, and I think this is why it's hard for folks. This is a long game. Redistricting is a long game. The lines will still be impacted through court cases and through the next election cycle. And because we'll probably have to do the lines again in some ways through the legislature. So, okay, take this moment of time out of your mind. Maybe I can't do something to fix these maps right now because the powers that be are the powers that be. But I'm not going to accept that forever. I'm not going to let that make me feel fatalistic about my opportunity to change the lines for the next year, right? So I'm going to fund organizations that are fighting this court case, you know, right. in the courts. You know, the NAACP, MALDEF, the Mexican American Legislative Caucus. Those orgs are going to be. In, so that's what I'm going to do. Then I'm going to volunteer for those orgs. And then we're going to elect folks. So the next time, yes. there's a balance. Because I feel like, oh, you get so engaged in this moment and you're and it's 
this moment's past, kind of. Mm-hmm. Okay. So but I don't want people to feel like they lost because it's not, we're not done. There's yeah. still more to do and we can right. win. Yeah. So, I mean, I think for us, we're, we're on this 10 year plan, right? Uh, to get 51% women in the legislatures across the country. And the idea is that it, it's, you know, there has been this wave of women who have been running, you know, more and more women of color are running and winning, but it is, um, it is a long game, right? It is a long game that requires long-term investment, long-term strategy, long-term, um, like almost like nuance, right? To sort of say like, okay, I have to compartmentalize and this, we didn't win this, right? This is an L for us. Um, if you care about democracy. And so, what do I need to do differently so that when these sort of conditions come up again, people in my community care about them? I understand what redistricting is. I understand some of these democratic reforms um, because I think that we, um, as you know, I think one of the things we want to do is make sure that as we elect more women in the state legislatures, they are reform minded. They are pro-democracy leaders because that is as critical as, say, one of your strong, you know, your most important policy issues. Right. That literally they go hand in hand. That It is a policy issue. Um, so I'm it's not a question. That was that was a little bit of a rant. Um, I love rants. I will say. And, and this is a problem. We tell people get involved in politics. And it's and, and I think they're like, OK, I'm going to change something. And they might. And we want that. But if they don't, you still change something by helping to think through the process differently and then go to the next one. And I just want people to think long term about all the issues are working mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. Because I, I will say, say this, like the reason only 6,000 people vote is not a short term reality. It was decades of disempowerment, disenfranchisement, all these things. So we are going to have to take decades to reverse what has happened over time. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I know I was only supposed to keep you until 1030. So oh, I, my bad. <laughs> no, no. I know we got a little late. Life happens. It's OK. You know, um, but I do. I want to ask you just a couple of, you know, like kind of quick questions. Yeah. Um, I think what is the what is something you are most proud of in your time in the legislature in these last nine years? Oh, two things. I'm going to sound so there was a very practical one that I always start with. Like, OK, um, like I said, I represent 263 colonias. There were 4,000 colonias in Texas, again, communities that don't have sewer water. So I was able to pass a constitutional amendment to provide hundreds of millions of dollars for water and wastewater infrastructure for colonias and low-income rural communities. That, that everybody told me we couldn't do that. Yes. Um, really, that's like my, yeah, yes. That is phenomenal. Like, because that's it's not a sexy topic. Let's talk about your toilet being able to flush, but people yes. just take it for granted, right? That's phenomenal. But I will say um, one of the things I'm probably the most proud of, you know, when I got in, if you can't tell, I have a little bit of a bubbly personality. (laughs) And um, when I got in, there were lots of messages about how I should act as a woman legislator. Oh, you kind of have to be a little bit more bitchy for people to take you seriously. Oh, you need to do this. Like you need to be, you shouldn't be so outspoken about your queerness. Oh, you should be new. You should say this differently. And I'm not going to say I didn't take all of the feedback and think about what it meant to me. Like, but I didn't just do it. Right. Like I'm like, okay, this is interesting feedback. I'm going to see if there's a way I can do it in my way or if it fits with me. Um, And so what I'm most proud of is that 10 years later, I still feel I'm the most authentic version of myself. 
because I think power can shift and change us. And for those of us who don't have power, a lot of times in society because of our identities, it has a really complicated effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel most proud that I've grown. You know, people I tell people all the time, I became an adult as a legislator. I started this journey at 27, yes. 27 years old and became an adult. And just think, um, to, to feel proud that I am still myself in this journey yeah. and have been able to become, you know, vice chair of appropriations for the ninth largest economy in the world. I don't know. I'm, I'm just really fortunate that the circles around me have helped me be, be that in my journey. Yeah. And that you, you were able to tap into your own center. You know, I think, um, and, and recognize it and keep it at your core. Um, you know, that that almost it could be the answer to this next question on sort of, this is about political wellness, right? We know that it can be draining. We know that resilience, you know, especially, you know, layer on top this global pandemic, right? Layer on top um, the reckoning we are having, the uprising, um, the, the new conversations we're having as a country, the hyper-partisanship, you know, uh, it's a lot. So. Sometimes we can stay resilient, sometimes we can't, but I got a hilarious text message from you. Um, so, you know, how how do you stay well? How do you keep your bubbly personality? How do you sort of keep the um, this, this megawatt smile that is, you know, changing and change the rest of my day today? Um, and what do you do for yourself um, in order to stay well? Yeah, so I feel you have to be really intentional about it. Again, like this place is dehumanizing. So if you're not centering humanization of yourself, it just, it just it's going to eat you away because that's what this place does. And I'm not hating this place. Obviously, I love being a legislator. I love my community. But we have to be strategic and intentional about how we take care of ourselves so we can take care of others. Top three ways, have the best therapist in the history of all therapists. I have the rock star therapist. She has been my rock in so many ways. I love her so much. Two is like have a family, a support circle, friends that, you know, have, and it's, everybody knows that. Have your great, like, have your crew. Have your, yep, yep, yep. And the third or fourth, the third is I have found that animals, and this is going to sound like, what are you talking about, American Gonzalez? Really, because I read this book about how animals help you live in the present. And I'm like, yes. So I spent a lot of time. I have six dogs, seven goats, two horses, and a turtle. And um, they help me all day just heal and find myself and kind of remind, remind myself, like, okay, this is who I am as a human. Um, and the fourth is all the wine. There's a really good Texas wine. If anybody wants some recommendations, it's Texas Wine Month. Go order all the Texas wine. Um, yes. So yes, lots I of wine. All, I love all this Texas pride. I love it. Okay. So all the goats and all the wine, all the turtles, all the horses. Um, but I do love that, like, you know, find your family, chosen family or, you know, biological family, whatever, but have those people around you. It's so, so very critical, especially now when we can sort of feel disconnected. Um, so go ahead. And I will say the one way for me, the hyper-partisanship is draining because I'm a very loving person. So yeah. I, I'm not like a very like, oh, I hate you because you think differently of me. That's, I think everybody goes through their journey. So I'm not, that's not, a, I'm not hating on that, but I'm not there. Right. Yeah. And the reason I'm not there is because my dad is actually my political opposite of me. He's mm-hmm. a Republican. Grouchy is cowboy Republican. He's adorable. Um, so I come into the space loving my dad because he was a single father raised me by himself. And, um, it helps me again humanize even the other side. Like I don't agree. I will fight fiercely against the things they're doing, 
but I'm doing the fighting through a way of love and compassion. Um, and it's, it's a nuance, yes, which I think yes. is important. Um, but that's also helped me kind of find my center. It's just kind of do the work through love a little bit. And I think it feels, you know, um, I think it feels almost a little bit unnatural to be so extreme and to be sort of in these camps when, um, and, and I think we're, lear we're learning clearly that um, the way we receive news, that the social media networks, um, the algorithms, and the intentional misinformation, disinformation of, you know, kind of like plugging into our reptilian brain and being like, hate, fear, hate, fear, right? The easiest emotions to trigger have been really intentionally triggered. Um, so, you know, we, we saw in the news this week with the, um, the Facebook whistleblower coming out. Um, it's... It is making me think also about even some of my own, you know, family relationships that feel strained by um, some of the political stuff that's happening. And like, there's got to be another way, like to mm -hmm. operate from a place of love, to lead from a place of love. So um, I appreciate you sharing that about your dad. I think um, it's a good reminder that, that we can do this another way. Well, just because I love my dad doesn't mean I'm not fighting for like of social course. justice. And I think yeah. that's the that's like like the interesting dichotomy. And I will say, I think there are intentional forces who want to see a breakdown in democracy, yes. who want us to hate each other so that they can really um, benefit from this breakdown because we are breaking down ourselves, right? Yeah. Like it's just I think there is a lot lar larger conversation of, that that is at play here. And I think again. We can't take democracy for granted. And we also can't forget that there are forces who would love to see democracy fail because they would benefit from it for a, for a variety of reasons. And so, um, and I think that's part of it. All right. So my last question is, what advice do you have for women right now who are watching? Um, yes. Nicole Kaufman says, running someday. This is so inspiring. Uh, you are very inspiring. I'm so, I'm so grateful to you for being my kickoff conversation. Yes. Folks, after you will have a, a big shoes to fill. But what, what's one piece of advice you want to give to, you know, women out there right now who are thinking about the legislature, thinking about running for office? What advice would you give them? Gosh, all of the advice. But I will say um, three things. I love, I love lists. If you ever see, I'm like, list here, list here. Here are my three things. One is... Um, think proactively about how you want to navigate your own mental health. Like don't come into it backwards. Like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm struggling because politics is a very mm -hmm. high impact sport. So know you're going to have the struggle, be prepared for it. Okay. Do I have my mentor? Do I have my therapist? Do I have a dog? <laughs> Whatever it is, like just know, be pro proactively ready. Um, number two is don't let the fear of the finances tear you down or scare you. I mean, I get it. Again, I I come from a very low-income family. Like, I, there's no way. But there's a way to make it work and happy to have that conversation with anybody right. who wants to think about right. it. Right. Um, and number three is, um, gosh, finish your PhD before you get elected. It took me 10 years to finish a PhD. I'm like, oh, my God, finish school. Finish school because it's so hard to finish school once you get elected. Um, but no, there's a lot. I think everybody has a different need, needs different advice, right? It's not a one shoe fits all. But ultimately, if this is what you want to do or think you can make a difference, do it. Because there's a lot of reasons not to do it, but you can have high impact. And if you want to have high impact, then you should run for office. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Representative Mary Gonzalez from Texas. 
our first political wellness episode. I am very grateful to you. Thank you for all of your very practical advice and the inspiring stories. You have, um, you really do live that sort of humanizing way of leading. So um, I am, I much appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And I'll be back anytime you want me back. Okay. No, I've already got like three ideas <laughs> in my head about working together. So I'm down. So for everyone who's watching, come in next week. Kitty Colbert, uh, Wednesdays at 12 o'clock. Kitty Colbert, um, who is the author of the new book, Controlling Women, gives a real back uh, history, if you will, of the abortion rights movement in this country. She is my next guest on political wellness. So thank you, Mary. Thank you, everyone, for Bye, joining everyone. us. Thank Bye. you.